Welcome, everyone, to a new episode of the Truth and Reality Podcast. I'm your host, Anthony Roman, reporting in the middle of nowhere. So about 12 weeks, 12 plus weeks have started so far in this NFL season. The Thanksgiving games last week were basically boring. The Packers and Lions was the best game because the Packers won a game that no one thought that they were going to win. But the other games were a blowout. Then Black Friday of last week, November 24th, had his first firing, one of the, one of the, uh, the craziest firings of the season. Well, not crazy, but nevertheless, uh, I, a decision I thought was a bad one. And the reason why I thought it was a bad one was because they fired defensive coordinator Jack Del Rio. Now, yes, the defense has not looked as good as it did last season. However, look what they did during Halloween. They basically were three and five and said at that moment, yeah, we have $90 million available in 2024, but we don't want Chase Young and we don't want Montez Sweat. So they traded both of their best pass rushers on the defensive line that when they play with Jonathan Allen and Payne, is probably one of the best defensive lines in the NFL. So they traded them away. Now, it, I, I feel that this is, has hurt them because this is a team that's already committing tons of turnovers. They lead the league in turnovers. But on top of that, they run about 40 times. Run 40 times. They pass about 40 times per game. Now, to me, when you run the ball, it helps control the clock, but it also helps the defense recover. I think when you pass a lot, there's a chance and opportunity for the defense to grow tired. Especially if the offense is committing turnovers. Plain example. If right now the Washington defense was on the field for a long time, the best next thing to do is that when Washington gets the ball is to run the ball, milk the clock, give them time to recover, right? But if you're a pass-heavy offense and you are likely to create turnovers, you create chances for a tired defense to not get, get its uh, things together and reload and recap and be innovators and trying to find ways to, um, you know, fix the defense and fix the holes during the game, you gave it no, no chance because they were just on the field. You commit a turnover. Now they got to go back in the field because the defense, I mean, the offense either created, had a fumble or interception that helps the opposing team get the ball. And I felt, and I felt this ultimately hurt. This ultimately hurt the Washington defense, hurt Jack Delario. That on top of that, you take away two opponent pieces in the defensive line, but yet that's Jack Delario's fault. The idea that you trade away both his top rushers, the idea that you you pass forty times per game, the idea that you the Washington has been a turnover machine. That's Jack Delario's fault, right? Always, someone always has to take the, the the fault in terms of why the defense 
or offense or why the record it turns out the way it does. So I really think it's a bad trade because of the decision making by Eric Benemy, the new offensive coordinator that everyone thought had to get out of the shadows of Andy Reid and get out of the shadows of, of Kansas City and show the world that he is a great offensive mind. That it wasn't all Andy Reid's assistance in terms of helping things turn out the way the to to turn out the way it is in, in Pat Mahomes. But running the ball, not running the ball, is bad. The idea, on average per game, they have about 61 plays, more or less, right? 40 is is going to passing. 21 is going to rushing the ball. Not a great balance. It's The idea that it's 40 to 21, which means you pass 19 times more than you've run the ball. I just feel that that I the idea that you don't have a great uh, passing game because let's be realistic in, in terms of the Washington's offense, it's Terry McLean and everyone else who is either streaky, who once in the blue moon has a great game, but it's not a great receiving core. You know, it's it's not a great receiving core. So the idea that you pass heavy is is crazy in my opinion. But that's what Washington did. Washington has new ownership that has Magic Johnson. They have $90 million salary cap. With the trades of Montez, Sweat, and Young, they got a second and third round uh, pick for this upcoming uh, season. Or is it Ron Rivera? Ron Rivera has been a football coach for the past 13 seasons. 13 seasons. Do you know how many seasons he had a winning record? Anyone? Four. I know he went to the Super Bowl and did had a 15-1 season with the Panthers. But the idea that he has lost nine times, has had nine losing seasons out of 13 seasons is crazy. The idea that he has gotten the opportunity. Jim Fossil had more winning seasons in the short window that he was as a head coach. Didn't get 13 seasons to be a head coach. Ryan Billick, former uh, head coach of the Baltimore Ravens that won the Super Bowl versus my New York Giants and uh, and Jim Fossil, was a Super Bowl winner and never got the opportunity to to coach again. Steve Mariucci was the head coach of the Detroit Lions and the the, uh, 49ers. Didn't get 13 seasons. Mm Mm-hmm. Is it is it that Ron Rivera is such a likable guy? Is it something else? I, I don't understand it. Below and behold, ladies and gentlemen, Washington has to fire its Jack DeLaria, and Ron Rivera will probably be gone. And Magic Johnson and, and the new ownership of the Washington Commanders are going to find a way how they can improve their team, especially with $90 million. Hopefully they make good decisions versus poor decisions. So about two weeks ago, the the Jets finally benched Zach Wilson. Did he deserve it? The O-line is horrible. To me, Garrett Wilson is the only good receiver that they have on that squad right now. The running game has underperformed greatly. 
I thought Bryce Hall or Brees Hall and Delvin Cook were going to produce great numbers for this team and be a great rushing team. But the running game hasn't been elite or even top 10 in the league with two great running backs. Alan Lazard last Friday versus Miami was benched. A wide receiver who they threw millions to this past offseason to help lure Aaron Rodgers making his decision to wanting to go to the Jets was a healthy scratch. Can you think about can you just think about that for a second? You just signed this free agent to be your second, third slash wide receiver on your team, and you bench him as an inactive. Just think about that for a second. The O-line is bad. As much as they did to improve, get the wide receivers that they did and did everything they did for Aaron Rodgers, they did nothing to really improve their offensive line. They're applying on an an injury-prone left tackle that when healthy is, is decent, but is injured often. And then the rest of the offensive line has been suspect. I mean... What is up with the Jets? Is it or is it is everything being tied to to Robert Slay, the Robert Slay, the head coach? Is he doing something that's not working? Because the idea that you had Delvin Cook and Devin Cook has not performed up to this, to the level that maybe many thought he was going to perform is crazy. Is it that Devin Cook did it to himself? Did Devin Cook signing as late as he did in this uh, during camp hurt him? Should he have signed with a team? back in June versus in August. So he could have gotten acclimated with his teammates more, more chemistry versus learning on the fly. Because he basically didn't play any preseason games and just got thrown to the Wolves week one and has never progressed into the running back that anyone thought he was going to be for the New York Jets. The top everything off, Aaron Rodgers got hurt and he said since he got tore his ACL, I'm coming back, and I'm the, and he, that he was going to come back this season. Well, this past week, he's actually retracted that. He's actually said, well, I'm going to come back, but only if we're in the, like, basically, I'm only going to come back in the, if we're in the playoff hunt. Wait, what, where did it come, where did the confidence in you that says, I'm coming back no matter what? Where's that Aaron Rodgers? Where did Aaron Rodgers go? Did Aaron Rodgers finally finally take into consideration that it doesn't make sense, one, to come back sooner at 39 from a torn ACL the same season? Did he take into consideration that the O-line may get him hurt even more? Did he take into consideration that, that maybe it's best to let his body heal up, let the team focus on the offensive line this upcoming offseason, Add another good receiver to go along Garrett Wilson and basically start new next season. I don't know. But it's kind of bad that he's now fallen back from that whole approach that I'm coming back and I'm going to prove everyone wrong and do all these different Pat McAfee interviews and making it seem that he was going to be some miracle worker at 39 coming back from torn ACL surgery quicker than anybody has ever come back from. And then I don't care if we're in the playoffs or not. I'm going to come back. I'm thinking about early December to be activated, which he was activated this week to have a 21-day window 
to practice before and, and to be activated before he has to be shut down to go to, well, maybe I shouldn't come back. Well, if we're out of the playoff hunt, maybe I shouldn't push, push this miracle of healing that I'm trying to show everyone. Maybe I shouldn't come back and let my body heal the right way. I think it's crazy. The idea that he's backtracked it. And it actually made, to me, this actually even hurt, hurts him in some, his image in some ways. Why was he doing this? Was it for attention? I don't know. But the idea that now he's retracted the whole notion that he was in the com that he's coming back no matter what is crazy. Who who did he talk to now that made him think that now maybe I don't come back. Maybe I do whatever I can to get myself stronger for the next season. I don't know. But the idea that now he's retracting that is is suspect. Not suspect, but crazy. As a fan, it would get me upset because we got interested in this season to see Aaron Rodgers. And the idea that we haven't seen Aaron Rodgers for a full game did make me falsely believe that it would be okay for a 39-year-old to come back quicker than anybody in the history of time from a torn ACL injury and play the season. As a fan, I would have probably gotten excited. I would have hoped and wanted to see a game. But the truth is, ladies and gentlemen, he's 39. And the reality is, it is better for him to heal, to do the exercises, and to do whatever he can to prepare for next season versus this season. So during the 12th week, Eagles versus the Chiefs was a big game because it was two teams that faced each other in the Super Bowl. So it was one of the best games that a lot of people tuned in to watch. And the Chiefs did have a lead in this game, and then they lost the lead. And then in the end of the game, they had an opportunity to win the game. But the ball fell, fell, through, fell through the hands, and they lost the game. Now, I was looking at this team. This team has actually a big drop because... Last year, Juju Schulster, hopefully I'm saying his name wrong, right? Averaged about between 57 and 59 yards uh, receiving game and performed great. But then you look at this season, majority of the receivers aren't even playing up to that level. It's basically Kelsey and that's it. No one has performed as good as Juju Schulster this season. And I feel like this is this season in terms of the receiving game and what we're seeing is what we thought last season was going to be without Tyreek Hill. Because let's be realistic. Once Tyreek Hill left to go to the Dolphins and got traded to the Dolphins, many of us didn't know how the Chiefs were going to look. And a lot of us doubted them. But Juju Schuster came in and performed. He didn't perform like an all-pro, but the idea that he was averaging 57 to 59 yards per game receiving was great for the, for the Chiefs. And I feel that because of his season, it kind of also helped him in the playoffs. You know, the funny thing is that the offense is um, is gaining 40 less yards compared to last season. But the defense is better than last season because the defense has allowed 40 less yards per game this season. So it's like, wow, 40 is, is the number. Maybe you remember you should play in your lottery right now. Just think about that. 
40 yards less per game offensively, and they have allowed 40 less yards. Um, I said that wrong. The Chiefs are gaining 40 less yards per game, and the defense is allowing 40 less yards compared to last season. Are the Chiefs going back to the AFC Conference? Are they a Super Bowl contending team? Will they be dethroned by a team like the Baltimore Ravens or the Miami Dolphins? Listen, to me, Pat Mahomes, and I think to many, is one of the best quarterbacks we have. And he's probably one of the reasons, not one of the reasons, he's probably one of the guys who should always be MVP. The idea that he's putting the numbers he's putting up versus a guy like Jalen Hurts who has three amazing, uh, two great receivers and an all-pro tight end, Pat Mahomes doesn't have that. Compared to Brock Prudy, uh, Prudy, whatever his name is, the quarterback of 49ers, who has Christian McCaffrey, Debo Samuel, George Kittle, and I can't see the other guy's name, but I think you have four guys who are capable of being all pro. On top of that, you have one of the best left tackles in the history of the game that even at 35 years old is considered one of the best left tackles in the game at this moment. The idea that he doesn't even have that makes Pat Mahomes an MVP candidate. We'll see if he still has that magic, even with the passing game even worse than last season. Now, a release of an all-pro linebacker happened at the same time. Shaq Leonard, linebacker of the, of the Indianapolis Colts, got released from the Colts, which was a head-scratcher because he's a great linebacker. But they released him. And the idea that... Here's the thing. If they were thinking about releasing him, shouldn't have they released him or at least traded him during the tread deadline so they could have got compensated for his for him leaving? Just saying, saying that. But now who is the question? Where does he go? Because... That it, the truth is, he has not just go to a team that's contending, but he has to go to a team that has a defense that fits his um, ability. Don't go to a team that's defense is so foreign that just because they gave you a lot of money, you end up underperforming because your talents don't really match up to the demand of the uh, to the defense that is asking for. One of the things I've learned about the NFL is you got your talent has to match what the offensive game and defensive game is. If it doesn't, you get exposed. Not every player can be in a 3-4 defense or 4-3 and be great. For some reason, certain guys perform good with certain types of offenses, certain ty types of defenses. Now, this would be great for teams like the Cowboys, Eagles, and Bills. Shaq Leonard is a linebacker that all three teams need because all three teams have lost linebackers this season for the rest of the season. So getting a guy like Shaq Leonard would be great. Would be great. The question is, where does he go? Where does he fit? The Eagles are amazing. But the thing is that, would you want to... The thing that I, I would think about also for Shaq Leonard is, Think about a team who's also going to have the, the salary cap to resign you. Do you want it to be just a four or five game approach and the next season start all over again? Or do you want to continue with one of these teams once the season's over because you've had success? 
do these teams have the salary cap? Bills need them, I feel, because they lost at least two linebackers versus that they had last year that were great. The Cowboys lost its middle linebacker. Um, And the Eagles have had a rotation of different linebackers. And even they have lost tons of linebackers. So we'll see what happens. We'll see in the next 48 hours where he signs and what team he goes with. Zach Ertz, tight end of the Arizona Cardinals, was waived and given an opportunity to sign with a contending team. The question right again the Eagles want him, but does the Eagles really need him? Is he going to go to a team that he thinks that's the most likely going to make the Super Bowl? Or is it about playing time? Because if, it, if it's about playing time, Zach Ertz would be great for the Baltimore Ravens, who lost Mark Andrews to, for, uh, for the season. Zach Ertz immediately goes, starts, and gets tons of chances of catching the ball and go to the playoffs and contend for a Super Bowl. We'll see what his decision is in the next 48 hours also. But one of the things I wanted to talk about, and it's I think it's so crazy that, that this is even a possibility. I'm not saying it's going to happen, but the idea that it's a possibility is the New York Giants are 4-8. and eight. They saw that the first 10 games, 2-8, and eight, and they've won the last two games. And I know, why am I talking about a 4-8 and eight team? Why am I talking about a team that at one time was 2-8? and eight? Well, yes, because I'm a Giant fan. But one of the other things I wanted to talk about was how they're only two games out of a wild card spot. This past week, the Cowboys versus Seahawks was a great offensive game. And yet again, just kind of like the, the Bills versus the Eagles game, a field goal basically hurt the chances of the, the losing team's chances of winning the game. The Bills versus the Eagles was a great game. The kicker missed two, at least two field goals that if he had made them, there's a great chance that there is no overtime. And the Bills would have won a great game versus a great team. Same with the Seahawks. I was looking at the Seahawks and said, man, this team is not as good as last year. And then you look at the statistics. Geno Stone, Geno Stone, Geno Smith, at this point last year, had 19 touchdowns. And before the game started this past Thursday versus the Cowboys, Geno Smith only had 12. And I thought this year, with, with all the pieces they had, that he would have probably continued and they probably would have been a better team. Well, this game, offensively, they showed up. And DJ Macliff had a great game. But field goals hurt the Seahawks and their chances of winning the game. And the Cowboys were too much for them. But lo and behold, the idea that these teams who are, who are the 6th and 7th seed in the wild card are not playing great and they don't have the easiest schedule to finish off the season is crazy that a team that's 4-8, and eight, not even a game away from being 500, has an opportunity and a chance to possibly make the playoffs. Now, the Giants won't make it. Because the Giants have to win the rest of the next five games. There's a better chance that they maybe win three out of the five games. But there's no way they're beating the Eagles. And I think the Eagles will be evil enough that even if the Giants were 8-8 eight and eight last week in the season, 
and one win leads them into the playoffs, I think the Eagles are evil enough that they probably would that they would probably leave all the starters in and try to prevent the Giants from making the playoffs versus resting the starters and basically um, basically trying to heal, heal and rest the players before the playoffs. I think the Eagles would be that crazy. But like I said, I don't think the Giants will make it. I just think it's crazy that they're two games out with a 4-8 and eight record. So if you haven't heard... The NBA has an in-season tournament. And the games are random. The games now are, it says in-season, but it's like basically it should be called random tournament. Because the games that, and the visions that they've put together for these, this in-season um, tournament is very crazy. It's not, you're not facing the, the teams that are in your division. It's more just you're facing the teams in the Eastern Conference or the Western Conference but it's all like jumbled and shuffled. That's how they're doing it. The thing that makes it pretty cool is, I don't know if any of you have watched the game and seen how to make the in-season tournament interesting. Every team has altered how their floor looks. It's different from the way it normally looks. That's a way that they're trying to market itself in terms of reeling you in and making you want to watch it because maybe it makes you even think, Maybe that the the court that they present for the in season should be permanent versus the old way. The other thing we have done is change the uniform slightly for each team. Another marketing thing to grab your attention and probably also to get you thinking maybe your team should have those uniforms versus the uniforms you see every game. But it's crazy to it's crazy. It's weird. We'll see what happens. Right now, there are eight teams left in this in-season tournament. The winners, all the championship game will happen in Las Vegas. I don't even know how the format is. Like, are you doing best of three, best of four? You know, if you beat the team, do you counter the win based on the last game? And do you play another game? I, I don't know, but it's different. I like the court. I like the uniforms. We'll see what happens and et cetera and so forth. So this season for the NBA is crazy. Did anyone have the Magic better than 500? Did anyone have them as a top five team in the Eastern Conference? Not me. Yes, it's the season is still in the beginning. And there are a lot of times, like the Utah Jazz last season, started the season actually pretty good and was shocking many people with their performance. But then the season continued and they weren't the same team, and they missed the playoffs. So the, are the Orlando Magic, the Utah Jazz of last season, or is Orlando Magic really that good of a team, and are they really going to make the playoffs? Well, again, tune in, find out, follow this team. But one of the teams that I think is very crazy right now is the Houston Rockets. Now, the reason why it's crazy is, one, they're over 500, which is a shocker. No one thought that they were going to be this good this season up to this point. But the thing that's crazy is they have one of the best records at home, and they've lost every game away. Think about that. At the time prepping for this podcast, 
the Houston Rockets were eight and one at home. Let me repeat that: eight and one at home. Great, that's fantastic. But at this point of prepping for this podcast, they were zero and five, and have since this podcast have lost more games away. That's such a crazy thing to think about. The idea that a team has a top five home record in the league. And also has one of the top, one of the worst records at home. I mean, away, it's just mind-boggling to me. Kind of resembles what happened last year with the Warriors. Last season with the Warriors, they had one of the best records at home. They finished the season with one of the best records at home, but their their away games was so poor that. They didn't end up a top three team, and they ended up a much lower seed. But it's just crazy how if they were just mediocre, they were a top three team in the Western Conference. The same with the Houston Rockets. If the Houston Rockets were just mediocre away, they're a top five team in the Western Conference. Not a top five, but they, they will be much higher than what they are. Now they're just make, helping betters bet on them. Well, okay, so they're 8-1 at home. Always bet on them to win the game at home and always bet on them to lose when they're away because they can't win away. And you got to give this team credit because they don't ha- really have any elite guys. They have a lot of young guys. They made two decent signings in uh, Fred Van Fleet, Van Fleet and Dylan Brooks, who are good Good additions, not great players, but good players. But then I was thinking about the coach. This is where the head coach, I'm going to say his name wrong, Udoka, who was a former head coach of Boston who had a relationship with a female staffer or a reporter or whatever in, in, in Boston, will led him to be, miss the whole season, eventually leaving Boston. But one of the things that it, it makes this interesting is that Yudoka became the, the head coach of Boston, but he inherited elite athletes. It was almost like, man, is he really a good coach or does he have a, re- a lot of good talent around him? That's almost impossible for him to be under 500 and not have one of the best records. So going to Houston was a big test, in my, in my opinion, just for the sheer fact that he doesn't have Tatum and he doesn't have any other play or Jalen Brown on here. You know, another coach that's kind of like like Udoka is Mike McDonald. Mike McDonald has now has two of the best wide receivers in the NFL right now. That are, they're so good, and the defense has 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 good great players. There's a lot of different th- pieces on this team that it's impossible for this team not to be 500. Impossible. Just like I thought it was impossible for Udoka to be an under 500 head coach of Boston if he had two great talented players and guys who already had chemistry with each other. So him being the head coach right now in Houston is interesting. It's somewhat proving maybe he is an adequate uh, head coach and he's doing a great job and maybe he deserves to be in the NFL, not in the NFL, in the, um, maybe he should be a head coach. We'll see if, like Magic, will Houston contain this 
500 record and performing better than people expected them to, to, to be at, to be the season, to play the season so far? Are they just like the Utah Jazz, a team that's starting quick but fades? Does Houston find a way to start performing well in away games and maintain the diamonds they, they, they have so far at home and go to the playoffs and make every person who didn't believe that they wouldn't be one of the top 10 teams in the Western Conference wrong. Let's talk about another guy, Josh Giddy. Josh Giddy uh, is being investigated for having a relationship with a minor. Josh Giddy is a player from the Oklahoma Thunder. He's 21 years old, and a minor is, is um, saying that he... That he um, had a relationship, uh, that they've had a relationship with each other. And um, we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens in that case. What happens to his career? He's 21, possibly had a a relationship with someone, a 16-year-old. How do you discipline that? How does he get suspended? I mean, what happens? He wasn't violent, but she was a minor. It wasn't rape. So how do you discipline this? He's not arrested. He's still playing games. He's not suspended. So how do you, what happens to the, to this young guy? Does he finish his career? Does he get kicked out of the league? What happens? So the MLB is, winter meetings is starting soon. Not a lot of major uh, trades or signings have happened. A lot of small things. The Reds have signed two quality guys. Emilio Pagan and Nick Martinez to upgrade its its bullpen. The New York Mets signed Luis Serviano to basically be a back-end guy, a high-risk, high-reward type of player who they're hoping performs better than he did last season. Um, We'll see what happens. Right now, this this season, off-season, feel like there's a lot of different Asian guys. I'm sorry to say it like that. Asian players, more than any other time, that are great, and it could be an immediate impact. I think there's about four different Japanese players at this moment who teams are looking at to upgrade their bullpen, to be upgrade the DH, and to be just basically an upgrade overall. I think it's crazy, but it's also beautiful. Let's talk about wrestling. So, so November 25th Survivor Series, War Games, was interesting. The Miz, who has made himself probably one of the best Intercontinental Champions, had a great match against Gunther, but then he didn't like the ending. I don't like wrestling matches where a guy does one little move and you win. I like that you have to do a couple more things before you can actually get the pin. You know, I don't like seeing The Miz taking the time and really looking like he was possibly going to win versus Gunther. And then Gunther does one move and wins the match. And that's how the match ends. But respect to to Gunther for being one of the longest reigning Intercontinental Champions. Congrats to Miz being one of the best best um, Intercontinental Champions ever. And congrats to him also because WWE had made him a lovable loser. It felt like he was having, a, for a good three or four months, it felt like he was having tons of matches on Monday Night Raw and then losing every match on Monday Night Raw. It's just not and yeah, he lost again in Survivor Series, but man, 
I, I, when you're on pay-per-view, it says that they have an interest in you. When they don't put you in Survivor Series on their pay-per-view, they felt like there was no adequate storyline that they could connect you with, and that's why you cannot be a part of the pay-per-view event. So kudos to, my, to The Miz and Gunther. The ladies had a phenomenal um, Survivor Series. Again, they started off Survivor Series. Yet again, last year, they started the Survivor Series. This year, they did it again. They had, again, another 40-plus minute match. Bailey is basically was basically the MVP. She was in the ma- the match the whole time, and it felt like she had good moves, but also was getting a beatdown majority of the time. I also thought that maybe she was going to be kicked out of damage control during Survivor Series, but it seems like WWE is trying to hold up in terms of making the decision when Bailey is going to leave or get kicked out of damage control. To so the men's. So, uh, Survivor Series. Um, so on Monday, Randy Orton was supposed to be the last member of Cody Rhodes' team. And when that move happened, it killed the whole hunger for CM Punk for me because I thought CM Punk was going to come back and be that miracle guy that Cody Rhodes' team needs, especially that it was in Chicago. And that was what they were going to do. But to turn your attention versus making that last member a guess, WWE said Randy Orton was going to be the last member of, uh, of Cody Rhodes' team. And then during their event, they made it seem, where's Randy Orton? Where's Randy Orton? He's not coming back. His wife was live before the, a lot of the wrestlers came, uh, came out for the men's Survivor Series going live. And it was like, man, I like that part. I don't know if she... she She's a part of the angle of everything that's happening with WWE at the moment. But if they're trying to play with the minds of the fans by having her go live and making fans think that, yes, it's still going to be Rennie Orton. There is no CM Punk coming to be the the the, the um, miracle wrestler that's going to help Cody Rhodes beat Judgment Day and, and Drew McIntyre. And then the match happened. All the rest is came out that was supposed to be for Cody Rhodes except for Randy Orton and if you don't know the War Games, War Games is not the traditional Survivor Series where all the members start and it's basically like a tag match and you basically have to pin every member of your opponents before you can win and it's about 4 or 5 members on each side instead War Games starts with 2 wrestlers and they put the other members in the cage and every 3 to 5 minutes another wrestler comes in and basically joins the match. The match can't officially start. And you can't officially try to submit or pin a wrestler. Until every member is in the ring. So they kept the guests. And Randy Orton did come out. So anyone that at that moment who thought, man, Randy Orton's here. CM Punk's didn't come. Our rumors or whatever we were looking at for almost a month or whatever it was thinking that CM Punk was going to come back during Survivor Series was not true now Randy Orton's back and Randy Orton looked jack I don't know if he it, it was like almost like he did stories he looked bigger than than he normally did and he performed great and he performed great with the Uso, with uh with Jay Uso even though he says he hates the bloodline 
and they won the match and Drew McIntyre left and the match was over and everything thought was going to be, everyone thought the, the Survivor Series was over. Michael Cole was doing his exciting voice that he gets, how he sounds excited after every match, every pay-per-view event. The little column in the, in the bottom that tells you copyright and all the different crazy things that it tells you in the bottom showed up and you just thought, okay, it's over. And then someone's music hit. And it was CM Punk. And it was crazy. Because. The idea. That up to 99%. Of Survivor Series. Was done. And CM Punk. And the thought that no, that CM Punk was not going to come. Come uh, come back to WWE. Was crazy. But he did. And I like this. I like this signing for the WWE because CM Punk is great on the mic. He hits everything. Also, is what a big wrestling name should be. So he shocked the world. Hell froze over to use him to, to to copy what he said. And then social media was popping out. Every fan that was at their event on Saturday night, on November twenty fifth, showed how Seth Rollins was angry. They show him cursing and looking like he wants to attack CM Punk. And they had Corey Graves and Michael Crow for holding him back. And Drew McIntyre left, but Drew McIntyre left before CM Punk came out. And, you know, this heat between CM Punk and, 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 and Seth Rollins, they have been throwing jabs at each other since uh, CM Punk has left WWE. People have said that this is a, a work. This is all part of a storyline. And this is just a you know, beginning of a story of a potential great matches that could happen between CM Punk and Mr. Seth Rollins. But it was crazy. He's back. But as the week was going on, I was thinking about something. Did WWE really need CM Punk? Did they really need to have him? Why would they sign him? Would they sign him to make AEW angry? Would they sign him just to sign him for ratings and that's it? Or here's the thing I didn't hear anybody mention in any podcast. Did CM Punk get signed and get approached by WWE about coming back to WWE almost after almost 10 years of being gone because of Bray Wyatt? If you don't know, Bray Wyatt has passed away a couple months ago. A big, talented uh, wrestler who has done great things for WWE. A second or third generation wrestler who was probably one of the best wrestlers in WWE. But unfortunately, he died early this year. So I was wondering, did WWE sign him? Because now there's a major void. The popularity and the things that, that Bray Wyatt brought to the table for WWE helped with ratings, helped with selling of merchandise, helped with building up a storyline between other wrestlers. And now he's dead. Who could take his spot? Anyone? There's certain wrestlers who are, who are great on the mic. They're not great on the mic. have great matches, but don't, are not, they're not great on the mic. Kind of, here's a prime example. Ricochet is a great wrestler when he has a match. He had a great match versus Logan Paul early in the year. 
but he's not great on the mic. He looks like a pretty boy, and he look he just doesn't look like the proto the prototypical wrestler. He looks too it's almost like he's too pretty to be a wrestler in some ways. It's it's kind of weird to say it like that, but that's what it feels. But he can't deliver what CM Punk can de- deliver on the microphone. The same like some in some others. So that's why I feel CM Punk is here. CM Punk fills in a void for Bray Wyatt. That's what's missing since Bray Wyatt has left. It's good to see him back. It's good to see WWE bring him back. You know, but like the term says, never say never. But I really do think that he's back because Bray Wyatt's deadbeat. And there's no guy who's has stepped up to the plate to do anything at the level of a Bray Wyatt up to the point before CM Punk got signed back with WWE. Now it's going to be interesting to see what he's going to do. How many more years he he come, brings to the table. Is WWE going to give him someone like a Brock Lesnar kind of contract in the sense that he's going to get paid a whole bunch of money, but he doesn't have to come to every TV event. He doesn't have to be a part of every live event that's not on TV. He doesn't have to be a part of a every pay-per-view. Because that's, that's what Brock Lesnar has. Since Brock Lesnar has come back, he has brought a, a lot of attention, a lot of great matches, a lot of great things for WWE. But he's not a guy who's like a Seth Rollins or others who is at every live event or every pay-per-view or every TV event. He wasn't. Is that what CM Punk got promised? Or is CM Punk going to do the same workload as everyone, as everyone else? Tune in to find that out. Now let's talk about AEW. I know I talked about AEW losing ratings. But I found it crazy this past week. That they're promoting an event. That's basically not happening for about nine months or more. All in Wembley. I think that's the name of the event. Is next year in August. And right now, every day, they are promoting it like crazy. This past year, they get, had so many people in attendance, it broke records. It did wonderful things for AEW in London. But why are you promoting that? Promote the fact that there are fans taking pictures of your events, showing the world that the, that the arena is empty. This past week... MGF was was in was on dynamite and the whole left side was completely empty. And it's crazy how they, it seems like they put everybody kind of like centered and towards the right. But man, what is happening with with AEW? Who are the guys in the background suggesting that they have three shows on TV right now? Two weeks ago. They had Rampage for two hours, then Collision for one hour, and then on the fourth hour, they had Ring of Honor, where Ronda Rousey came out. They didn't promote it. They didn't build up to it. Social media put out that, that she, was, she was backstage. And then they don't show it on TV. Actually, they waited almost seven, almost seven days later to show that event that happened on Ring of Honor and that Ronda Rousey was there. But again, 
again, AEW has has shot itself in its own foot because the idea that the world knows everything that happened on that show that Ronda Rousey came out and then you show it a week later, you just made the viewership that you thought was going to happen for Ring of Honor go lower than it should have. And basically, you hurt Ring of Honor because if everyone knows what's going to happen on that show, why are they going to tune in? And AEW has done this a lot of times, ladies and gentlemen. A lot of times. And the idea that they think it's... I just don't see how it's smart to have two shows shown at the same time, Rampage and Collision. I don't see how that's smart. Have one show, and that's it. But for me, ladies and gentlemen, there's something that has to change. I hate the fact that they're doing so poorly with the ratings, with the attendance... It almost feels like, don't be shocked in the next 12, 6 to 12 months, big names will start being released from AEW. This past week, the Hardys have complained about their time and all the scheduling on AEW. The dentist, Britt Breaker, a.k.a. Adam Cole's wife, former champion, is complaining about her time on TV. Ladies and gentlemen, this is just the beginning. When you keep on signing talent, when you keep on doing certain things like they're doing, it's only going to kill this, kill them. And it's only going to make TNT and TBS want to release them. I really do think that. We'll see what happens. We'll see if TNT and TBS want to honor the contract or do they eventually want to get out of the contract because the ratings are not doing what they thought they were going to do. Just saying. Something has to end. I mean, something has to switch up. Listen, I'll say this. I'll give you my services, Tony Khan. You want me to help you? I have ideas. I have ways to do it. I know I'm not jo- Chris Jericho and others who have proven themselves in this in that, in, in a wrestling industry. But man, the idea that, that you think having three shows so soon is so smart is crazy. Trust me. Anyway, ladies and gentlemen, that is my episode. If you like the Truth and Rally podcast, you can go on any podcast app that you like. Subscribe. If you subscribe to my podcast, you don't have to pay anything. There's no mandate for you to do anything. Actually, the only thing that it does is it makes you aware when a new episode is available for your listening ears. And if you like the social, if you if you have social media and you want to be made aware there, of things I post or whatever. Again, it's the Truth and Reality Podcast. I'm your host, Anthony Roman. You you can go on TikTok and you can go on Instagram and other places and be made aware of my little silly commercials that I do to promote each episode. And yeah. Anyway, that is my episode. Have a great day and even better night. Bye-bye.